0: Welcome to episode 3 of the 1099 for the week of July 13th in Jacksonville, Florida. It is storming outside, so I hope that doesn't come through on the mic the entire time. But whatever, if it does, it'll just add a little bit of craziness to this podcast. Uh, with me today are two brand new guests. And first, I'm going I'm to say his name first so I can make sure I actually get it right with the pronunciation. Nathan Minier,
1: yeah awesome. yes. <laughs> oh
0: man I got it it's because I wrote it out and I kind of cheated who uh has time. Been a long time freelancer and has written a few books about freelancing one of which I read and then like immediately after got my first pitch accepted by IGN so I'm gonna Woo. he's helped me out a bit um and also joining us today is game informers Brian Shea Brian how you doing hey good how are you I am doing fantastic, other than the weather here.
2: Um, yeah, <laughs> we're supposed to get a big storm here in Minneapolis as well, and I'm just like waiting for it, like looking over my shoulder out the window.
0: How is the weather there? So I know like you moved there recently uh, for your job. Like, has it been a big change? Where'd you live before?
2: Um, well, I grew up around Baltimore, so uh, like I've I've seen winter before, and I lived in Pittsburgh for a little bit. Uh, but most recently, I moved from Austin, Texas, to Minneapolis, and that was. Uh, bit of a shock. Um,
0: yeah, I could imagine Texas
2: weather. I mean, you don't get much of a winter and in Minneapolis you don't get much of a summer. So it's, it's very much flip flop from, you know, where I was before. Um, the winters are horrible, but the, uh, the summer has been pretty awesome so far. Very temperate. Um, I think the high today was like 89. Everybody was like, Oh, it's so hot. And I'm like, that's, eh, I'm, I'm dealing pretty well right now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Changing climates and trying not to be like, for me, I mean, I moved from Pittsburgh area actually, and I live in Jacksonville now. And uh, hmm. every time it was like 65 degrees or 70 degrees in the winter, everyone's like, it's so freezing here. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be an <laughs> asshole, but you're so wrong. <laughs>
1: like,
0: my last uh, semester in college, uh, I remember there's a week straight of negative 15 and like a foot of snow. And that was about right around the point when I said, no more of this, please, and moved away. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, that sort of shift is crazy. So let's actually start with you, Brian. I, one of the reasons I really want to talk to you, other than you're a great guy, is that you've (laughs) made this recent switch um, from doing freelance. I know you had, it was your own website that was Video Game Writers, correct?
2: Yes, I co-founded it with uh, Jason Evangelo, if you know him. Uh, He's been writing for Forbes. He also does some freelance stuff now. Um, We co-founded it back in 2010, I believe. And we just kind of, he transitioned away from that to do Forbes pretty much full time after two years. And I kind of carried the torch for the last two years. But um, yeah, I was there since the start and uh, there through the end.
0: So you went down the path that I think is one of the smartest path uh, for freelancers and for people who want to do this permanently is you kind of have you start out with making your own site or being a part of a Uh, A site where you can be kind of take risks, be creative, run a staff, uh, really make it your baby, which I think that's what it was for you. But you're also getting your name out there on the bigger sites and freelancing for uh, like IGN or GameSpot or different places like that. And that's what helped you get into that game informer role. What was actually the process of getting that job and becoming a full time staff member?
2: Um, Well, (laughs) like I said, I co-founded the site in 2010, kind of took over like the overall site um, around early 2012 Um, and yeah I think that's what you made a really good point there is that you really want to have you want to get your name out there you want to get yourself published Um, so you know if you're if you're not quite at the part where you know the the game spots or the polygons or the IGNs of the world are gonna publish you um, you're not quite there yet which I wasn't in 2010 when I started writing or started started doing VGW I just, you know, I was like, fine, I'll I'll self publish, even if it's just on on the internet. It's it's I have writing samples that I can send out. I'm I'm crafting or I'm I'm building my craft. I can uh, you know, I, I get experience. I, I'm working with PR, uh, which is a huge part of it. If if anybody who's ever written freelance, like if you're trying to get an interview, you're trying to get um, I mean, I guess if you're doing freelance reviews, which is something I never did, you typically coordinate that through a uh, through the editors of this mm-hmm. site itself. But um, yeah. Working with PR is a huge part of that. And when you have your own site, that's a, a thing that you get a lot of experience doing. Um, and like you said, managing a staff is also a big, uh, big thing that, that it looks really good on a resume. If you don't get that in your, uh, your daily or your, uh, your day job, that's something that definitely helps a lot. Um, but yeah, that, that was the, the, the primary path that I took was, uh, Starting VGW with Jason and uh, kind of taking over, building it up as like kind of our own thing. We changed our image several times. Uh, We went from just being like straight news and reviews and and features to, hey, we're going to just strip news completely. We're going to do features and reviews. Uh, Then we got rid of scores and reviews and that kind of backfired because PR wasn't very happy about no scores. So we stopped receiving review review copies. So uh, we kind of reinstated that in kind of a, a, a more tactical manner. Um, so it's a lot of experimentation when you're running your own site. Um, but then, uh, about 2012, like late 2012, I think it was, I hopped on the phone with uh, with Fran, who was the editor in chief of OXM at the time. Um, and I was like, "Hey, I'd really love to write for you guys. Um, here, I have some ideas." And I sent her an email, and we we talked for about two hours on the phone, which is something that is still kind of mind blowing to me that an editor in chief of a major magazine would. Just hop on the phone and like I would say maybe an hour of that time was us just, just talking what games we've been playing. And it, it's, you could tell that she cared a lot about that. And she was very nurturing in, in, in kind of developing me into a freelancer. Like I'd be like, hey, I, I want to do this. And i like, oh, that's typically something we'd have a staff writer do or a staff mm-hmm. editor do. But hey, how about this? And she would actually assign me something. I'd be like, that's awesome. So I think that, you know, networking is a big part of that as well. Like I I being having my own site um, and also doing freelance, it enabled me to do a lot of the expos and conventions. So I'd go to comic cons. I do, you know, uh, I went to my first E3 last year, which was instrumental. And I I met the Game Informer guys for the first time there. Um, So that was really big. Um, But yeah, PAX East, PAX Prime, those things are perfect for networking. I met, um, tina from kotaku which is another one of my my bigger gigs Uh, when i was freelancing i met her at pax prime a few years ago gave her my card and then we just kind of kept in touch and eventually transitioned into her being my editor for a few pieces um but yeah networking is a huge part of that which you know going to those events is 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 something that was invaluable to me Um, and
0: one of the aspects you mentioned was you know when you have your own site you are working very closely with different companies you're talking to the capcoms you're talking to different pr agencies to get codes and uh so I mean mostly what I do now is freelance reviews and while you're totally correct that most of the time you're getting assigned games from editors, one huge thing that I've learned uh, I was an editor chief for a site of a site for a while so I was getting those contacts and now every time I get a random review key from an indie dev or even from like a Sony or someone like that, if I get it early in my inbox I will go over to Kevin from GameSpot and be like hey I just got this code, do you need a review for it? So that's mm-hmm. a really good way to get your foot in the door. Uh, maybe like if you would, you know, if, you, if you, he wouldn't have given you the opportunity if you didn't come to him first. That's a, definitely a benefit. That's what you've done with that building up also works for freelancers because you can reach out to people with codes right away.
2: Sure. And also, I mean, going back to kind of the the networking aspect of it, when you go to these expos and conventions, and, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone up. It's like, hey, um, is so and so here? And they're like, yeah, here, here he comes or here she comes. And then you say, hey, can I see the game? And like the, because you have that rapport with them, they're more likely to, to work to try to fit you into the schedule. Like if you didn't get an appointment uh, prior to the expo. Totally. Um, so, yeah, definitely using those connections is another big thing uh, that comes from either freelancing or having your own site.
0: How many different, uh, Nathan, how many different events have you gone to? I know I remember when I read your book, you had mentioned that you would freelance for some different sites uh, for different uh, events like that. But how
1: many have you gone to? Gosh, it's been a while. (laughs) Um, I went to PAX East like the first year, the first and second year, I think. And that was the only time I've ever been to a convention. Per se, mm-hmm. um, haven't been to E three, haven't been to any of the other, uh, you know, overseas ones and whatnot. Um, I did when I lived in New Jersey for a while. I was pretty close to New York City, so I would actually go in, like, hop a bus, and go into a, a Ub, Ubisoft would have a lot of events, and there'd be some other press events in the city where they'd kind of gather a bunch of journalists around and basically, you know, get 50, 60 people in a room and, uh, you know, have beer and food and basically like demo, like a half dozen games. And um, so there'd be events like that. I would hop in and check out uh, pretty often, you know, many years back when I was, you know, living in New Jersey still um, haven't been to any events since then. So I don't know. It's been, I mean, I've been to a lot of smaller ones and then, you know, a couple big ones. It's harder and
0: harder as a freelancer to do that too. Uh, so often yeah. they're just sending their dedicated staff. Uh, we had uh, Miguel Concepcion on here uh, two times and he went uh, for GameSpot uh, just as a freelancer just because you worked for them for so long. But it's so rare that you actually hear a freelancer... Going like, oh, I'm representing IGN or I'm representing VG247 or anything like that. So it is more rare, but it's It's super
1: tough. Yeah. I mean, like, one of the reasons I stopped doing it is because there's such so much hustle involved to try to lock it down. Oh, totally. So it's like, you you just kind of, you know, maybe the first couple of years, if you're really gunning hard to do it, it's exciting. But like after a couple of years, you're like, well, all right. To justify the expense, and I mean, if you're if you're going to do it, then it's totally worth doing, and it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, but oftentimes you end up paying for travel and hotel and everything out of your pocket, so you have to really. Uh, it puts a little bit of extra stress on you to make sure you're locking down your schedule as thick as you can pack it, so you can make decent enough income for you know weekends with the travel and work and. Um, you know, super fun, but like you got to kind of be prepared for that. And I think I just after a couple of years of trying to do that, I realized, you know, I can actually make just as money staying at home covering things. So mm-hmm. well, it kind of shifts away from traveling and going uh, in person.
0: And speaking of hustle, uh, you're a full time freelancer. And I've been full time I mean, for a long time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've never done that. I, I have a full
0: time job. I do uh, freelance on the side. And but your role in just in general in the industry has changed a lot. If you could kind of talk about that, because when I first started talking to you, and we met I don't know 3 years ago something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um you were doing a lot of, you know, game writing for different sites and now you've you've published a lot of books, you've done a lot of you've done game development. What what's your what's your day to day? What's what's your week <laughs> look like?
1: It's a little bit crazy. Um I, yeah, I started off doing I mean I mean I started off like everyone else sort of just kind of hustling and trying to get into uh, you know, sites and magazines back in the day. I mean, I think I've been freelancing full time for about, I want to say, eight or nine years. Writing professionally about twelve, but like full time freelancing, f- primarily about games and tech and nerdy stuff for about that long. And I mean, I I think after like a lot of the mag magazines like Nintendo Power and Game Pro and OXM and. Um, either shut down or stopped working with as many freelancers or, or shifted. Like those were, that was like the heyday, like my era of like best freelancing gigs because, you know, working for all these print magazines, you're getting like a dollar a word for a lot of them. And, uh, you know, it's really mm-hmm. awesome to be able to see yourself in print. And that was a really good time. Um, wait one second. But, Did you say a dollar a word? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of oh, the print geez. magazines I, and, and I it's, that it's much era. harder to find. Yeah. It's harder to find those rates in the, in the, especially in the games industry these days. Yeah. Um, you know, you're lucky if you can get between twenty five cents and fifty cents a word for a lot of places. Or sometimes, you know, it's it's just it's sort of a, it's a gambit depending on what you're going to work for. Um, and part that's part of the reason why I've kind of begun to shift elsewhere is that I, you know, I've had a different. Uh, I've been trying to kind of develop a couple of different pillars of of my professional world. And freelancing is still my full time gig. Um, I've moved away from games not because I'm sick of games and I don't want to cover games or because there's no money in covering games uh, it's in part because I wanted to kind of shift I think I get bored doing the same thing for too long and mm-hmm. um, just doing you know as some of the opportunities I had that were great were kind of drying up and I realized I need to kind of look elsewhere because um, I you know you hit a certain amount of income per month for a couple years in a row and you're like once you start to backslide a bit it's like I got to think about you know what I'm gonna do here yeah. um, so you know book writing has been something that I really didn't want to pushing push harder on and um, that's kind of one of the core. Right now, I have sort of three core pillars to my creative freelance and uh, you know full-time professional world. And book writing is one of them and you know self-publishing on Kindle and Amazon. And uh, that's one of the things I've really been pushing hard this year. I think I've put out three or four books just this year and I've got half a dozen more in the pipeline and some classes I'm building. Um, and I've got uh, by next month, I'll have eight books out so far. So Jeez. that's something I'm trying to build into sort of a somewhat of a steady momentum building passive income stream. Oh. Uh, and I often write about writing or self publishing. I, I write about writing stuff, kind of meta and nerdy because I'm a i <laughs> am a geek out on that. But um, that's one of the core pillars. Freelancing is still my main groove, um, but I've been doing a lot of freelancing for. Uh, corporate clients. Um, sort of while I was doing a lot of game journalism stuff, I started getting gigs because um, once once you get out there, I mean, I think I've written for more than forty plus publications and clients over the past ten years or so. Yeah. Um, so you get to the point where like people start approaching you for work, and it's not all the people that approach you are you know publishers or you know content creators. They're PR companies and uh, you know companies that are creating products and they say, hey, we were looking for a freelancer with X, Y, and Z experience to write about this or write about our this thing or that thing. Would you be interested in this gig? And I've got a lot of those over the years, and gradually I've sort of you know started taking some of those on, and it's just really interesting opportunities doing. Um, you know, oftentimes it's sort of brand journalism, quote unquote, or content marketing style writing. Where you know it's not so much copywriting as it is creating journalism style stories uh, that tell the story that are like feature articles, but that are also centered around um, you know case studies or a you know a company's product or um, you know writing feature stories on how people are using the things that other companies are making to do really cool creative stuff. So, one of the companies I've done a lot of work for. Um makes software that's used to create all a lot of the sci-fi film blockbuster film movies, but it's also used in game development. It's also used in uh, creative design. So I will interview directors and creative folks on those some of these big studios and do studies about like how they use the tool the tools for the client that I'm working for. And uh, so it's kind of that's a, that was a cool shift. I was doing a lot of that, and I'm doing those kinds of gigs. Um, I'm also doing sort of more straight of content marketing where I'm covering, you know. Publisher X has a game coming out. They want a piece in this place that's going to be branded as a, you know, basically advertorial style piece where it's writing content about the game, but, um, you know, we're not, it's it's not straight up like, you know, editorial. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So there's and- some of that kind of gig, and those tend to pay really well, um, and I've been doing some mock review work, um, but all that's kind of coincided with my shift away from doing traditional games press, which um, sort of happened this past year. I sort of uh, started an indie studio, which was by accident. Um, I've started. I have some local friends that we kind of just started doing some game creative project together, and decided let's actually make a studio. Um, and that kind of required that I pull back from a lot of. I was doing you know, game reviews for GameSpot at the time, and um, you know IGN and some other places, and had to kind of you know. I, I love working with Kevin, and you mentioned like Fran and everybody else. Like mm-hmm. these are all awesome people that I've really enjoyed working with over years. But um, you know, with Kevin, in this case it was like I couldn't really keep doing game reviews for the site being an indie developer who for the site, they would probably eventually end up reviewing some of my games. Uh, you know, there's that perceived conflict of interest. So that was a bummer. And I was really kind of like, uh, I was like, you know, I understand. I probably can't keep writing for you, but just saying, you know, if that's something is okay to do, then I'm up for it. But obviously I understand. And it turned out, yeah, that wouldn't make sense to do. So, um, yeah, my shift has been away from that. And, um, Game development's been one of my things, book writing and you know freelancing more for corporate clients, but still covering geeky game kind of type things that I'm really interested in. And, and uh, you have to get yeah. creative because uh, you had mentioned
0: earlier that a lot of the sources, a lot of the different websites, the, the opportunities, they haven't dried up, but it's, it's a different landscape out there. Some sites are closing yeah. down. Some sites that you might have freelanced for for a while just aren't as popular. They can't give you as many opportunities or pay as well. And uh, that's why... Brian, it's really it's cool to see someone who has been freelancing and working really hard get that opportunity to get one of those few open jobs. I mean, how can you kinda of talk about the interview process, if you could, for Game Informer going from freelance, going from your own site and transitioning to I mean, one of the dream jobs. One of the dream jobs is Game Informer. What that what's that process been like?
2: Um the process the transition process has been great. Um I mean it's it's nice to not have like I, I know you have this situation where you have the full-time job. I, I did that for my entire games journalism life up until January. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working a computer consulting gig uh, about 50 hours a week. Then I'd come home, run VGW, and do freelance. Um, so being able to not worry about the uh, the day job that's just you know a paycheck is is very nice, we'll say. Um, Absolutely. But uh, as far as like, like the interview process, it was it was fairly straightforward. Um, like I said, they they had uh, known me already. So like they they didn't, they didn't fly me in because they they'd saw they'd seen me around. So we'd met in person and everything. But we did a uh, we did a Skype call or I did a phone call with uh, one of the editors and then a uh, Skype call about, I'd say, uh, maybe a month or two later. With uh, three of the editors. And um, yeah, it's it, it was it was good. I mean, it was it was a lot of hard questions. Um, make sure you know, know your stuff when you yeah. go into there. Um, I had a list of about 50 features that I had just in case you're like, hey, do you have some ideas for some features? I don't think it actually came to that. But I had a list in front of me of, you know, 50 features. Oh, uh, that's
0: smart. I've never thought about that.
2: Things I mm-hmm. like about uh, the site, like, hey, you know, you have these videos that I really like. I, I've watched like you know five or six of them before the interview, just to familiarize myself with it. I, I, I started listening to the podcast, um, so I could you know be be ultra familiar with like kind of like the flow of how the podcast goes. So pretty much anything that they they threw at me, I could have. You know some familiarity with like, hey, so we have this podcast. How could you see yourself contributing to that? And I could just kind of like be like, oh, well, I noticed you guys do this. I'd love to build on to that with this. Um, just just things like that where you you you're not just pretending to be familiar and pretending to be a fan of the of the site or the magazine that you're trying to write for. you you actually are a a uh, a fan and you actually are familiar with the 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 work that they put out
0: yeah, and that's I think that's critical for uh, even freelancing when you're going to mm-hmm. pitch something to a polygon or a GameSpot, like make sure you know know their content. And like you said, not not shallow surface level. You read one article and you assume, and this was something that was actually uh, in your book, Nathan, about familiarizing yourself with a site. know what IGN's looking for. know that games radar is a lot about lists. know that you know all these different facets about it before you. You pitch something. So you can actually say, like, hey, I've done the work. I'm educated. When I write this article for you, you're not gonna have to completely throw it into a different like mold and rearrange it because it's already in the right style.
1: Yeah, that's so important, really. I mean, being able to go, you know, go right up to the, you know, up to bat and be like, hey, I know all the like i am to be so well versed in the publication and be able to show that right off you know the bat, it's really important. Especially when, you know, they comes down to like hiring for a full-time position or your freelancing or whatnot because um, editors will know very quickly if you're not <laughs> familiar if you don't totally. know the site if you don't know the kind of content they run uh and that just shows that you're unprepared and not really you know taking your role seriously yeah absolutely at least that's how they perceive it I, just, I, you know that's how i would perceive it if i was in an editorial position it's like oh take the, you didn't take the time to read the site well why should i hire you kind of thing yeah um
0: so what kind of content are you working on right now brian i know uh you've you're writing reviews for them. You're doing some video work. I think you've been on the podcast before. Like, what's what have you been contributing so far?
2: Um, well, the cool thing about Game Informer is that I mean, we have like a features editor. We have a review. Well, we don't have a features editor right now. I take that back because uh, Matt Helgeson actually left a couple months after I came on. Um, but we have a, a reviews editor. We have a previews editor. We have you know managing executive. All the different you know the the, the, the typical roles that editors have at at a publication but everybody pretty much does everything um so it's kind of cool like i I've, I've gotten a lot of review work um i think that's the spot that i've actually needed the most uh work on is my reviews so it's it's really cool to have a dedicated guy who's going to sit there with me and go through every every single point but you know features i i've i've done a lot of features um uh news uh we have we have dedicated news people but we also we have kind of like a rotational basis where you know we all right today i'm going to help out with news and then you know a couple of weeks from now, it's my turn to help out with news again. I also handle all the, the night news on, on Monday nights. Um, so if something happens like after hours, I, I usually will, will write it up. Um, so, so that's basically been my role is just kind of helping out any way possible. I try to, you know, I, I love doing the videos. I love doing the podcasts. Um, we recently reformatted our podcast, as I had mentioned before, um, Matt had left. So he, he ran all the podcasts from episode one all the way through, you know, episode like 265 or however many he did. Um, and then we reformatted after he left. So I've been on that a couple of times as well. It's It's gone from a traditional podcast audio only to like kind of like, you know, full on video with like production in between and. And we have like a, a whole bunch of videos like replay and super replay and test chamber and all these all these different like there's so many moving parts. It's hard to be involved with all of them, but I do my best to, to get my hand kind of at least wet in every single bucket that we have. And I always um, like to
0: ask people who are on the show kind of this question. and this goes, you know, Game Informer or beyond, what have you done so far once again at Game Informer as a freelancer? What's your favorite piece of content you've produced? Uh jeez, <laughs> I know it's a hard question. And you could think about this too, Nathan. but like the you know you've you've both written a great deal, you know for many, many years. but there's I think there's always for me at least, there's at least one or two things I can look at and be like, I can't believe that came together like I can't believe that happened and I had mentioned this before before but for me it was my first article for GameSpot was a you know 2000 word Final Fantasy 8 retrospective to, which for me was you know it's one of my favorite games I just have a, a very uh, personal like attachment to that game for when I was a kid and it was a certain time in my life that I was playing it and uh, the first thing I wrote in for GameSpot which was always a site I wanted to uh, write for was this big personal thing and that was always something I look back on and of course I would like to think that in the future, I'll have something else that tops that. But right now, that's kind of what I point <laughs> to and be like, that was really
2: awesome. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a few that stick out in my mind immediately. Um, I guess if we just kind of want to go like based on app uh, outlet, um, VGW, I had a, a series that just kind of rattled off lists of 11. I don't know why I chose 11, probably <laughs> because the first time I did it, I could come up with 11 things. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll just stick to this number. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one that was like 11 great things that future generations will never experience or 11 11 game video game related things that future generations will never experience like things like blowing into the cartridge and having to manually update your sports game roster oh, wow. um, um and then i had another one it was like 11 great experiences that this generation has has delivered or this this console generation has delivered fans um that, that was ones i was pretty proud of uh, for vgw then freelance i did one for ign that was uh how review scores and and game reviews in general affect the people who make the games. I so I this. talked I talked to a few people, um, you know, that are still making games. A few people who are no longer in the industry, um, a few PR people even, just kind of like seeing how like they do damage control if it's like a bad game or how they like you know how how they kind of relay the information that hey the reviews aren't looking so good to the the developers or, or things like that. Um I did one for joystick that was just this long profile of Devolver because I thought they were a really cool indie indie publisher. Um it didn't really get a whole lot of traction cuz indie games are so hit or miss and even though Devolver's I would say the the biggest indie publisher out there right now, it's it's still kind of hard if you're like, "Hey, here's an indie publisher, read all about their founding." And it's yeah. like it's a it's a really interesting story, and I wish it did more. Um, now you can find it, I guess, on Engadget, uh, Engadget Plus, or what, I don't know what they're going by right now. Um, but I did I do know that it is preserved on Engadget now. Yeah. His well, um, joystick you, is no more.
0: And you're right about like the indie thing, where sometimes you'll have an, like a really interesting in depth feature about an indie developer, indie publisher, like you did, and people don't you know grab onto it because it's not Call of Duty, it's not. Minecraft is not whatever. Uh, one of my my first feature for IGN was uh right it was either right before the PS4 launch or right after, and it was a, it was an indie feature, but it was all about uh, kind of the indie perception of the PS4. That was right when the Xbox One wasn't looking too hot, and all the indies mm-hmm. were on the stage at E3, and I was talking I talked to uh, Greg Kasavin and Lauren Lanning and um some people from Double Fine. And that hit, but that was, once again, it was one of those hit or miss things where when when it was published, I remembered it's like this is either going to go completely unnoticed (laughs) or it's going to start a Flame War console fanboy fight. And it did the latter. And that was, I didn't look at one of those comments. That was Mm -hmm. one of those where you just like you post it, you close your laptop, slowly walk away.
2: (laughs) Well, that's another thing that happens all the time is I I wrote that I tried to write this uh, this kind of comparison piece on. on Xbox Live Games with Gold and uh, PlayStation Plus Instant Game Collection, just kind of like comparing the two. And then I ended up landing an interview in the middle of me writing it with uh, the VP of marketing or, or sales or something, or platform, some some mm-hmm. VP at, at PlayStation. I was like, all right, well, let's see where this goes. And it ended up just being a profile on like the evolution of PlayStation Plus, going from kind of like this thing like, oh, I can already play games for free online. Why do I need to pay $50 a year? Um, to being like, oh this is one of the best values in gaming yeah. um, and it was it was a really good like long like deep dive into PlayStation plus's evolution and it just turned into a full-on fanboy console war in the comments section and people tweeting I mean how much did Sony pay you for this? Yeah. I'm just like uh, of course God. can we just for a second talk about the concept that like
0: <laughs> anyone is ever gonna get paid off to do stuff like that like it's so silly, especially being someone I've reviewed dozens of games uh, for IGN GameSpot everyone. <laughs> It gets me so grumpy because it's like, oh my – do you really think like a publisher is going to risk – and a publication is going to risk all credibility by getting a a few thousand dollar check to give, I don't know, uh, Drive Club an eight – when it deserves like a four. <laughs>
1: like, come on. It drives me nuts. for the, the, the audience for games, I think, you know, there's a lot of really smart, intelligent people who read games and want to play games. But I just feel like it's so frustrating the kind of stuff, like the, well, I mean, I don't want to get down the whole Gamergate thing, but like what people think like of the press and of freelancers and of you know publications, it's just so stupid. Like I get so pissed off because like people are like, "Oh, you're in the pocket of the publisher because you gave it a seven instead of a 10, Or well, who gives a shit? Also, to be yeah. honest. Pardon me. No, you're <laughs> fine. And I, but, I get I mean, so I,
0: frustrated because it's who like, who gives a guys, shit about video games score numbers in general? Like I'm gonna be honest with you. Like I said, like the last thing I think about what I do with review scores is I will write about a game. I will read my review, I'll edit a few times and look at it and say, I don't know, this kind of reads like a six. I'm not sitting there just from the start, starting at 10 deducting points or thinking that well, mm-hmm. I don't know, I really like Sony, so I'm gonna give this exclusive an eight, even though it plays like a five. like I don't, it's such a silly concept. Review scores people get way too worked up. I will have times where people will you know go on Twitter, or go through the comments of a GameSpot review and I don't know. When I read this when I read this, this really sounds like a seven and you gave it a six, you're a jerk. I'm like, are you really it's one point? Like, is this really going to make your day better if I give this game a 7? Like, I I don't read the comment sections for that it's, very it's reason. It's so smart not to do that. But every once in a while, you publish something like my Devil May Cry 4 Special Edition review, and you start looking, it's like, why does this have 400 comments? And you're like, oh, it's because I gave it a 6, and apparently that's sacrilegious. But it, yeah, I don't... Reviewing games is a, <laughs> a fun experience in that way. The internet. Yeah, I think yeah. reviews might be the the worst place for comments i could be wrong but i found that to be most of the time where you'll just see people be like oh man
1: you're assaulting my character this is not fun (laughs) it's really interesting though like having been a reviewer for so long and then now being in a position where i'm having stuff i'm creating be reviewed it's such a it's interesting perspective and shift like i think i have a lot more appreciation for how people would cover and review and critique my work or my games and even if they crap on and think it sucks like Sometimes you're like, oh, that sucks. Or if you know, I don't get mad if someone reviews it and gives it something, a crappy score. But like if they're just a jerk about it and don't put thought behind it, then that's like, ugh. But But I also like I have understand, you know, like having been I've reviewed like probably like thousands of games over the course of the past whenever long time because I did reviews primarily as, like, my groove for a lot of the sites I wrote for for mm-hmm. many years, and, like, so I, I understand what goes into a critiquing review and evaluating a game and weighing all the different things and the different sites and the weight they put on different things. Like, a GameSpot review is probably going to be a little bit heavier scored, you know, like, lower scored than, yeah, you know, an IGN for optimized because they're more critical in certain ways. Like, it's just the way sites run, so, like, it's just funny, though, because, like, you think about it, and, and then from being on, like, I guess maybe that's given me more perspective to be less like freaked out if someone's like they don't like something i create because like okay i get that like cool
0: whatever (laughs) and and you're a writer so being a writer you you're used to constructive criticism you're used to harsh critique often like editors every once in a while will you know they won't mean to but they'll edit some of your work and you'll look at it back and be like oh man that was that was pretty harsh or that was like they just destroyed my piece um
1: yeah it it gets less it gets less of uh you know like i guess you maybe you build up more of a thick skin for like nowadays I just want my clients and others to be happy with the work so I can keep rolling with new assignments. So like mm-hmm. if they're like, hey, change this, it's like, all right, you know, if it doesn't take a crazy amount of time to do these things, like I'll just do it and move on. Like it's all good. And you just kind of, and I guess maybe it's different when you're starting out and you're feeling a little bit more, like I remember when I first was starting writing, it's like you want that approval. You want it to, like, okay, am I good? That feels oh, right. totally. When you're giving me feedback, it's like, yes, I'm doing this right. It's that validation that is really important when you're starting out. So you can feel that, mm-hmm. yes, I'm doing the right path. Um, I'm, you know, my content is good because you know you can always, even now, like I've been writing for a long time, and I always feel like there's days where, like, man, I could have written that article better. Like, I should do this, and you get to a certain point. I think maybe I'm not jaded so much, but like I've been at it for long enough that I'm just kind of like, you know, get the work done, make it good, and then move on to the next gig and next thing that needs to be done. So that, I mean, for me, it's so that I can focus on the kinds of creative projects that are involved in my world that fulfill me on a different level. So like, writing a book, working on a game. Um, I guess freelancing for me has been sort of like more become more of a backdrop uh, like it's almost like I want to push that as a side gig now than having my full time gig but it's certainly where I get the most of my income from still and so it's sort of interesting being in a position where like had the day job made the shift to freelancing now I'm trying to build up uh, you know several businesses that are more passive income related but more creative focused. so it's like finding how all that fits together as, as part of the puzzle as a freelancer is really sort of weird.
2: The thing about Nathan, though, is like he helped me out a lot too. I mean, it's not just it, it, he helps out a lot of a lot of freelancers like through his oh, books. Thanks. And I, I mean, I, I was the, the guy who was DMing him, like, "Hey, I have this quick question. I know I, I, you may have covered this one of your books, but I'm like two books behind on you." Uh, <laughs> and Nate is just a, a freaking resource. He is like when I was freelancing and completely clueless and just getting my start, like he he was a wealth of information, and I, I'm still. Trying to keep up with his books, but he's churning he's them out. What what'd you say, eight books now?
1: Yeah, I'm on my eighth book. I got a couple more. It, 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 thanks, man. I appreciate that, it, though. It's like, you know, if it wasn't me, it'd be somebody else. It's not like, what I'm doing, I just love, it's part of what I love doing. Like, I'm just a nerd for the process of writing. Like, when I was learning how to do freelancing, it was like, this is so exciting, but no one, like, there's no resources that, like, to tell me how to do it right the right way, especially in how it applies to games and stuff, you know, or your niche freelancing. And So all I did was just ask other people, like, hey. Can I have like a minute of your time just to ask a couple questions? people were so great to it, when I was starting out to give, you know, answers to questions I had or point me in the right direction. So like I just sort of passing that forward and it, funneling it into different outlets and you know book writing as being one of them, but like we got freelance and, game podcasts and other other resources where just, you know, people wanna learn how to do stuff. It's cool that there's, you know, we're able to create things now that can help other people as we kind of get our foothold in different, you know, sections of the industry. It's good stuff.
0: Yeah, and you saw you found a niche. You found this opening where, like you said, you were a freelancer and you were, you know, getting into the business. But you realized there was no, like, tangible resources. There's no guides to how to get in the industry, and uh, you filled that hole. And I'll be honest with you, I've had, you know, i feel like we've all had this. Multiple people email me saying, like, and you know, how do I get into this? What's the first step? And before I tell them anything else, I always say, like, okay, here's a link to this book. I want you to read this book and if you have any questions afterward let me know but I Mm -hmm. like I'm not going to be able in an email to explain everything as uh eloquently and as detailed as you already did in that book and once again it's, it's the truth that after I read that I I remember writing up a pitch um the first one that was on IGN about indie uh game developers and the pitch got accepted within a week and I followed like the format you had and I'm like oh man this is this is magic that just worked. Um, (laughs) and yeah, there's no one, and you know, we all realize this, there's no one path to getting published or getting a full-time job in here. Um, but there's absolutely, I hate this corporate term, but best practices, uh, (laughs) that you can follow so that you get, you set yourself up for success. It's, it's, you might have to go the route that, uh, Brian and I did where we're, uh, writing for a smaller website to kind of get that your writing chops uh, sharpened, making sure that you have writing that is good enough to be accepted at a GameSpot or an IGN or anything like that. Or maybe right now you're ready and you can go pitch someone. I don't know where someone's at, but yeah, I always point them. To, I'll tell you right now, I've at least sold like a dozen of your books. What I'm saying is I want some of that
1: money, <laughs> yeah, so you get you, whatever. You get your cut of that, right? Yeah, I want to check in the mail. I should start a like an incentive program. People want to plug plug <laughs> plug my work and sell books. Maybe they get a cut. Yeah. Right, they actually there is a the, the you know, places like Udemy where there's online courses, like and other they call it affiliate marketing, but there's a lot of like neat things where people who are making related content like this kind of thing actually can do that where if you plug their stuff, you can become an affiliate and get like a pretty solid chunk of the, the thing for each thing. I'm working on a pot course for uh, podcasting for authors and creative and writer folks. So that's the kind of thing where like People absolutely can get money by, by like promoting my thing by becoming an affiliate. So, like, it's funny you mention it though, because there are th- opportunities out there for people. Like, if you have an audience that wants a certain thing, uh, you can plug other people's work that relate to that and, and get income from that too.
2: Well that that's another thing that I think that you touched on Nate was Nathan sorry I don't, I don't know which one you prefer. It's all um, good either way is good. <laughs> um, you were talking about how you noticed that there's like this hole in the uh, in the industry there was no resource for how to become a freelancer and I mean that's the essence of freelancing right there is figuring out what isn't available in the industry you're trying to write for and maybe come up with a way to fill that like I I think that uh like Taylor Koch, before he went over, t- I think he writes for uh, Riot now. Yeah, he, he, um, he had a, a column at Joystick, I believe it was, called Silver Linings. I don't know if anybody remembers that. I think it was him, anyway. I hope it is. (laughs) And it basically it took games that weren't necessarily the most well received, but took like a spin. Like, okay, well, uh, this game had really awesome water physics. It wasn't a great game, but if we took these water physics and applied it to this other game, it would be awesome. And like pretty much like the the good side of these really like critically bashed games. (laughs) And that was something I thought was a really cool feature, a really cool column that he had. I think about like maybe four or five entries in. I hopefully. Hopefully there were plenty more than that, but uh, it was it was a really interesting column. I, I read probably two or three of them, and I just loved it. And I thought that was a really good take on like just you know looking at a negative game and making a positive out of it, and a really clever name calling it "silver linings." And yeah, and- but, yeah, I think that's that's a really good approach. If you're having a hard time like uh, coming up with a way to you know pitch a, a freelance uh, article, is just try to think of what isn't out there or what, what even what the publication you're trying to pitch to is lacking and you know, you never know what's going to stick.
1: Yeah. No, I especially love that. Point. It's something that's a hot idea too. Like if there's a, you know, like a, I don't know, exam- I haven't been so tuned into the gaming world of news lately, but like if you can capitalize on something like along those lines, like find the gap that's missing. And especially if it aligns with something that's actually really like hot right now, if you get like an early, like an early tip I mean, back when Minecraft was just like an alpha, and mm-hmm. no one really knew what Minecraft was. Like the first people that started covering it, like I, I think I remember doing like a two or three, like uh, it was I don't know, it was a really huge, massive thousand word article for uh, GameSpy, and it was like interviewing Notch and all this stuff before any of that like really crazy blew up. Like it was pretty big at the time. Mm. But, like then you know for the longest you new know, t- years by like how many times did I write about Minecraft articles or whatever or reviews and like it was it was just like a topic that hit big and you get buku traffic from that. And that's definitely like, if you can align <laughs> something, you know, you're pitching, you find a, 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 you know, a hole to fill. And if, especially if it's something that is potentially really traffic getting, that's going to really, um, you know, a lot of websites, they want the hits, they want the eyeballs. So that can be a really good way to, you know, if you can identify those things and, and trends and one way to potentially consider doing that too. And this is funny because it has nothing to do with game journalism financing at all is to go and do like um search term stuff. Like I do this for my books oh, yeah. and it's, I mean, you use like Google AdWords. You can sign up. You don't even have to pay anything. You just use their free keyword tool, and it tells you how many searches something gets. So if you're like, okay, you know, Fallout 4, you know that's going to have like a crap ton of stuff. Like, you can just start Goog- like Google in all these different terms and see like what's hot and what what's getting the clicks, and actually compare them, and then use. You know, and that might be one example. You could actually show an editor, look, here's all this stuff. Like, this is a really hot topic. Here's an idea I have. I mean, I don't, you don't have to necessarily justify it so much, but like when you can dial in on those holes and fill them with something that you know is going to really stick, and you can show that to an editor, that's a really good way to guarantee that you're going to lock down an assignment pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, and it's so hard to like know what is going to hit, though. Like, I, it's so <laughs> yeah. it's such a fickle beast. Um, so, like going back to kind of your your question about the uh, the which which ones you're most proud of, my probably the two Game Informer articles that I've written that I'm most proud of have done. Horrible traffic like relatively speaking <laughs> yeah. like I, I did an interview with Yu Suzuki, which is just an absolute dream come true I love Shenmue. I love his older work um, Did that at e3 and it get like 10,000 hits and I'm like what is happening and then do I mean, you think Shenmue 3 in the headline? It would it would really yeah, hit would especially that one the, would take off Yeah, three three days after the Kickstarter launch and it's still going strong I, I was hoping like, you know, he talks about Shenmue 3 making his dream a reality and Nope, didn't didn't stick at all. And then another one about how gaming shaped my life, and that was that was one of just a long personal essay, pretty much about how I got into gaming and how it just became this the, like the the pivotal point in my life, uh, uh, like you know playing games with my dad and becoming like this hardcore gamer and just deciding okay this is what I want to do with my life. And you know it, it got decent traffic, it did a little bit better than the the Yu Suzuki interview. But then I write a my 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 heaviest traffic article of all time is. One I wrote when they announced that they were going to do the Smash Ballot for uh, Smash Brothers DLC, and it was like, okay, here's ten characters I'd like to see in Smash Brothers, and it got Listical. like, yeah, exactly, and it got like four hundred thousand views, and I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> you never know what's going to hit. I thought it was just kind of like a, an afterthought. I was on it was like a Friday afternoon, everybody was kind of wrapping up for the weekend. I was like, I'll throw this together real quick, and it just took off.
0: <laughs> yeah, and no, but I mean, in the personal ones, sometimes like, yeah, maybe not everyone in the world's going to read it, but it, those are super rewarding. Like that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're fun to write. It's, sometimes you need to get some of that stuff like, off your chest. I, uh, I had one that was on uh, Kotaku and it was about uh, death in games and like how you can kind of get over loss in your life actually through video games. And I got to interview uh, Patrick Klepek and it was a few years after his dad passed away and I had another friend in the industry whose uh, father passed away. So we all kind of shared stories about that. And for me, I don't know how much traffic that got. I, I wasn't you know getting dozens and dozens of comments, but that was uh, – that was a really unique experience to talk to other people who have gone through that and to talk and to to write that out. And sometimes you just need to write things out to understand them more. Um, so that was a really fun one so I can relate in that way. It's
1: good when yeah, there's I mean, editors that appreciate the, you know, the, you know, if you could prove yourself to an editor so that you know they know you're gonna do good work, but then they give you that flexibility to kind of explore those topics that maybe, you know, take a chance on. Them. They're not gonna necessarily be big hitters, but they know it's gonna be good content, so they mm-hmm. go for it anyway. Like I always love that. There's sometimes your some of the best stuff you might write or read isn't necessarily going to be the the hottest thing. Or even you know, I, I tend to get bored of like the pieces that are the big like, okay, mega AAA game now. Obviously that's gonna be, you know, break the site with traffic no matter what who writes about it. But like you know, most of the stuff that I've always focused on and really enjoy the most writing has been articles about really weird, quirky things or oftentimes indie stuff. but like maybe it's not the most traffic thing, which is why I've probably had so many of my uh, indie focus columns canned over the years after you know like eight or nine, twenty uh, installments. <laughs> but like that's the most rewarding stuff, though, to write about the things that are weird and unusual and uh, you know that ha- make a difference in different ways. Well, yeah, Sorry. I mean, that's <laughs> another one.
2: My my first freelance article ever was on uh, independent video game retailers. So like, you know, the mom and pop shops. And oh, yeah, cool. it, it, I loved writing it. I wrote it for OXM and it was kind of like, you know, thrown in the back of the, the issue. And I, I don't know how many people actually read it, but I was so proud that it was in, in print. Uh, it was the very first time I was ever in print, aside from like, you know, school yearbooks and school newspapers. <laughs> um, so it was kind of cool. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think it, it – people were like, Oh my God, this is the best article ever. But it was something that was really rewarding to write because I was able to highlight some of the, the places like, you know, locally around me and places I'd heard about. I traveled up to New York and interviewed a uh, guy up there who had a, had a shop. So yeah, it was, it was, those types of things are really, really rewarding to, to, you know, get published and have the, the editor trust you on it.
0: Totally. Yeah. That's, it's great to write the big stuff. It's great to see that you have hundreds of thousands of views, but I don't know. I think my portfolio, I bet the stuff I have for the top was not read by everyone in the world, but I was really happy about how it turned out. So, all right. So I kind of want to, want to end this podcast by doing what we normally do, which is kind of each one of us gives one tip. doesn't have to be your top tip, <laughs> uh, but one tip that you can kind of give to someone that uh, could help them either. If they're already an experienced freelancer do even better and get the full-time job or if they're trying to just get into it for the first time lead them in the right direction and I'll kind of start uh, other than of course I think it's important to sharpen your skills at uh you did video game writers uh, Brian I was the editor in mm-hmm. chief of Giva stick skills and a, f- a few other sites um that's a great way to uh get your writing chops up get a good portfolio going but and this one's kind of hard but this is what helped me a lot find someone who can Look at your work and edit it and be very, very honest with you. Make sure that you find someone out there. You, If you keep writing and only editing your own work and looking at your own work, it's hard to grow in that way. You're going to keep reinforcing those mistakes. You're going to keep looking at what you're writing and saying, like, is this good enough? How can I improve? I don't know. Uh, I've found friends over time that have been super gracious that they will... Look at something I'm writing. Go over certain things and say like, "Hey, this is a consistent issue I see in your writing. Here's something that you could improve on. Here's like, make sure you're not using giant dumb words to sound smart, Josiah, which is something I had early on. Uh, But for (laughs) me, that's always that's been massive for me. I've grown significantly by having these people that can look at my writing, be honest with me. And if I didn't have those people, I wouldn't be at Gamespot. I wouldn't be at IGN. I wouldn't be where I've written." Uh, they've made me go from a bad writer to a good writer to wherever I'm at now. Um, so yeah, for me, that's, if you can find someone to look at your work and be honest with you, find that person and don't get mad when you have harsh critique. Uh, so yeah, if Brian, (laughs) I don't
2: know if you have any sort of tip you'd like to add. Um, I mean, that, that's a huge one. I, that, that was instrumental to my development as a writer and even as an editor, like Mm -hmm. just finding somebody who's not going to be a yes man or yes woman, just, you know, push like they're going to push back uh, I mean I've had some very very harsh editors and at, at first you're like oh man I, I worked so hard I was so proud about the, so Proud much. of this."
1: <laughs> and
2: like at the same time it's like okay you start there's like kind of like this light bulb that goes off and it, it becomes like okay I know what they're exactly what they're saying now I, I'm going to rework it like this and then they'll probably come back again if they're if they're like you know, if, if, if you're not up to their standards, why should they publish you on their site? So exactly. they're rightfully sending it back to you over and over again until you get it just right. And once once you get it right, it's like the greatest like feeling ever, though, because they're finally like, OK, th- we can work with this. And I'm like, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then it's off your plate. You don't have to think about it ever again. You
0: can move on <laughs> to the next assignment. It's oh, it's the greatest feeling.
2: Um, but I think that my tip would probably be to, um, I mean, this is kind of something that maybe, maybe some editors would, would not agree with, but I think networking is just so crucial. I, when I went to PAX for the first time, PAX East, I think it was 2010, 2000, no, it's 2011, I went to PAX East for the first time and I would just go back to my hotel room and write and I got so much content out and it was amazing for us. Like I think I got like one of the first Assassin's Creed three interviews up. Or Assassin's Creed Revelations, or, or whatever Assassin's Creed game was coming out. I got one of the first interviews up on the site, and nobody else had heard about the game, and it did really good traffic for us. But in the long run, I, I slowly started, you know, as I approached my fourth Pax, I started noticing that I was I was going out more and going to the parties and and kind of just meeting people, meeting people who are doing the job that I want to do. And it really paid dividends. Like like I said, I, I met several, several editors at these events. I gave them my card, said, "Hey, I'd love to write for you at some point." Um, I've you know freelance pitches. It eventually, evolved into that, and then you know that, that turned into you know a part time freelance career, which eventually, co- when combined with my uh, my VGW stuff, turned into a full time staff writing position at, at Game Informer. Um, so, I mean, networking is is crucial, at least from from my path perspective couldn't
0: agree more yeah that's been instrumental to uh i went to michael pactor's party in 2013 at e3 and i was like Mm -hmm. 21 um and a lot of actually i met lauren landing there that turned into the ign feature so you're totally right like stuff like that of course you're not going to just hand out business cards and be like i don't really care about talking to you please let me write like yeah you want to of course be Making exactly. friends, but
2: But Nurture are... the relationships, both both the ones that you perceive as important and the ones that you like are like okay, this is just somebody who wants to talk to me. Like you never know where each relationship is going to go. It's like Mass Effect. Like you don't know which which romance option <laughs> you're going to take at the end. And in this case, romance <laughs> is obviously professional writing, but. <laughs> Life well, yeah, is yeah. like Mass Effect, Brian. <laughs> it's so many Mass Effect analogies we could make here, but yeah, just um, kicking yeah. people through I, I windows, yeah. Uh, and of course, maybe some of that that uh, networking stuff comes from the privilege of being self-publishing at that point. So I didn't have deadlines I had to hit. They were they're all self-imposed deadlines. So you know, if you have an article that's supposed to be due the next day, maybe you should stay in and write that instead of going out and and nah, you now whatever get drunk.
0: Uh, other than uh, getting drunk while you write. What tip do you have, Nathan? Actually,
1: i actually jotted down three real quick. And then uh, just in case that Brian might have grabbed one and uh, he did actually networking really is super important. And I'll even add on to that real briefly that, you know, be really sincere about how you do it. Just so, Hey, I want work. Give me work. You know, try to build meaningful connections with the people, whether it's other writers, whether ed- other editors, um, you know, don't approach it from, Hey, what can you do for me? How about approach from the standpoint of like, hey, I'm interested in working for you. How can I make your life easier as a freelancer? What can I do to, to cover something you need covered? Like try to be the solution rather than the kind of, hey, look at me, I need help, I need work, kind of yeah. the drain. <laughs> totally. um, that's really key for networking too. But networking is super important. And honestly, I'll, I'll say like, quite a few of the gigs I've gotten have have come from leveraging my existing contacts that I've built. So you get in at one publication, you do good work and prove yourself. And then you say, hey, um, I noticed that you're friends with so-and-so at this other publication. Would you be, you know, would it be cool if you, you know, after you've written a bunch of articles, you prove yourself like, Ask your editors hey could you introduce me to this person or um whatever or you just you know leverage your skills you, you've got your resume list of here's all the places you've written for once you build that up a bit you actually can approach other editors and say hey i've written for x y and z they likely know a lot of the editors at those other places because it's a small enough industry in the games world so you, they're going to go oh so and so has had you do work for you maybe i'll give you a shot too like that's a good approach to networking uh you know and try to be a solution and, and a help as a freelancer versus like looking at it from, you know, I need a job, I need work, I need to make it. Like they don't owe you anything, so you just got to prove yourself. Prove to them that you're worth the time and energy and, and that's really a good way to do it. Um Absolutely. sorry about so my my other actual tips were I have two quickie ones. Um the one that served me really well throughout my entire freelance career is setting goals and not just setting like short-term, you know, obviously everyone's like, okay, in the distant future, I would love to write for magazine X, Y, and Z, or publication, mm-hmm. here's where I want to be, I want to write for 20 places, 40 places, whatever. Set those long-term, far-off goals, but also set smaller goals that you know that you can hit more realistically. Like, back in the day, I wanted to write for Nintendo Power, I wanted to write for IGN and GameSpot, and I started writing for smaller sites like The Escapist and Chi Code Central, which, you know, just uh, they're not even really like, it's a totally different kind of ballgame now, but like, I started working my way up through smaller places that I can build my chops in. And even being a you know a fairly experienced writer at the point when I was starting to break into in the games world, like I still needed to establish myself in this industry, in this niche of writing. So, you know, you work your way up, and to do to stay like you know to stay sane when you're trying to get that momentum, you can't just say, oh, okay, I want to write for IGN, and then you know it's cool because nowadays you're seeing especially social media being a big deal now like i don't even know if twitter existed when i started <laughs> um you know you can editors are so much more approachable so you can actually make grounds like i'm seeing a lot of people who are getting their start actually starting off with gigs at ign and whatnot like that's really cool um, but you know set those long-term term goals of where you want to be in five years where you want to be in 10 years where you want to be next year but in the meantime start doing something now and say you know and on the way to getting to that goal, I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z. And I'm gonna keep moving forward. And that's what that's the only way I've been able to get to where I'm at. And that's the only way I'm able to continue pushing in the directions that I wanna go. Like and when you hit the goals that you when you hit those long term goals, like I hit most of my long term goals year, a couple years ago, like and now I'm setting new goals where I wanna be in the next 10 years. And and you just gotta keep pushing forward and doing that. And that's really a good way to keep the momentum going. Because it's really not easy. You're going to have those moments where you're just like, screw this, I'm going to pack it. And it's not, not like getting to where it's taking too long. You know, like I'm super impatient as a person. So like, when I have an idea for something, I know where I want to go. Like I want to be there already. I want yeah. to be there last week. <laughs> but you need to, you know, you got to get that momentum rolling. So setting short-term goals is a good way to kind of get those little wins and build those up until you get to the bigger wins that you want to get to. Um, and the other really important tip I think is find your niche. Um, and you know, you can find your niche as a freelancer in a particular industry like games or craft beer or tech or you know, writing case studies and content marketing. But even within an industry, you know, games, games journalism, games. Freelancing is a pretty for, for being a fairly small industry, it's pretty big. So find your niche within a niche. Like if you want to specialize in something like my my niche when I for much of my career was indie games. Obviously, I've an interest in that. I mean now I'm a developer I'm on the side. But like, mm. you know, I specialize in indie games and, and I focus my coverage around that. And I became sort of like the go-to person for indie games for a lot of places. Like, so it was a lot easier to get more coverage around that. Or if I was um You know, or if you have a specific skill, like you do interviews, you're like the face to face face person, you can just like send them out somewhere, go to an event, boom, you can just show up, be ready to go and knock out the interview and just make it happen. Awesome. Write it up. And then, you know, like that, if you get known for that, like you will get more work for that. Um, You'll get more work if you become, you know, specialized in being reviews or if you specialize in a particular beat, like folks like uh, Michael Martin, who's recently kind of shifted full time into freelancing. He's. Pretty quickly, went from like, "Hey, I'm working for IGN," to now I'm focusing on doing like esports stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, like if you find a, a channel that you are interested in, that is like a passion you have, and focus a lot of your financing energy on pushing towards that and saying, like, "Here's here's you know, I write about MMOs. Like, I'm you know, if you're an even, I'm not, I'm not actually an MMO person. <laughs> Neither <laughs> like if am I. If you're the dude, or, or or you know, anybody, if you're the person who wants to cover MMOs and you know your shit with MMOs." you know there's not a lot of people that do that so you can easily be like the person for a publication or multiplication that is like the mmo person not that you actually want to do that
0: yeah i actually uh, became crazy. the like <laughs> the jrpg guy at Gamespot. not completely but like the obscure yeah. ones that you don't know about that come out of japan like three years later and i'm like oh man how why am i playing this vita <laughs> Game that I can't pronounce, and there's like these twelve-year-old girls. It's it's weird. I don't. It's something happens. Yeah.
1: 80 hours of gameplay. You're like wow, that was yeah, super I, worth oh, it. That's
0: the worst part. <laughs> I'm like 80 hours in, and I'm like, w- this is not
1: worth it. I'd sometimes, it's... yeah. Sometimes your niches find you though too. I found like when I was doing it for GameSpot, like oftentimes just out of the blue, I think I covered like one because I like you know I was doing a lot of shooters, and I was a PC gamer on the review team, so cool. I had all the hardware I needed. So for some reason, I started getting these assignments. They're like, cover this free-to-play online shooter thing like okay cool and then suddenly like here come to this other online shooter free-to-play thing okay cool You now, fall like, into it it's so yeah, like weird. 10 gigs later it's like i'm the guy that gets all the
0: free-to-play shooter thing review i went on a stretch where i was getting like the the three-hour long indie games which was the greatest thing ever because that's was, the like, best oh, stretch yeah that's it the was, best reviews are like 700 words long and you you, you spend like yeah. four hours together on an assignment and you're like this is great I'm going to do this forever. And then they throw you the 80 hour lost yeah. dimension 19. And you're like, I don't know what's going on anymore. I've made mistakes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's I totally good. agree. Find your niche. It's, That's
1: important. It's all good stuff.
0: Also, be well rounded so that every time someone gives you an assignment, you at least have some sort of knowledge that you can do it. Because I don't know anything about MMOs and I just got offered an MMO
1: review. And I'm like, whoops. <laughs> Sorry. I don't want to give you a bad review. <laughs> Sometimes you have to, you got to be willing to kind of, there's been definitely numerous times where like, I, I think I can cover this racing game. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, no much racing.
0: Totally. There's uh, a lot of times yeah. where I'm like, I, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. I'm try it. Yeah. Give it a go. <laughs> I'm going to give it the old college try. And uh, I right, right. up in my face. So yeah, <laughs> that's all the time we have. That was an hour ish right around there. Thank you guys both for coming on. Brian, uh, people can find you at game informer in all different forms. You're all your reviews and all your videos. So if anyone wants to hear more from Brian, they can find him there. Yep. Uh, For Nathan, you have the Freelance Game Rival podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Battling back and forth. I listen to it. It's a very good podcast. People should listen to that as well as the podcast. Love the Freelance Game. Yeah.
1: Thanks. I'm happy there's there's now another podcast about freelancing that I can listen to that's not my own voice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This episode
0: is. (laughs) Yeah, I'll listen to all yours. You'll listen to all mine. It'll be great.
1: Um, So yeah, there
0: and all your other Freelance Endeavors. They can find you at your indie studio with all your books. Once again, they should read your books.
1: If they want to find all of my books ever written in one place, you can just go to www.gamejournalguides.com, And that points to my Amazon author page, which has my game books, my freelancing books. My sell- it has all my books in one shot. So it's not just Game Journal Guides, but three books on how to do game-focused freelancing. I've, I just came up with a new book, and I'm sorry I'm plugging my shit, but... you know, you're fine. Go for it. <laughs> I, my, my mention of niche freelancing was not entirely not strategic, because I just came out with a book called The Niche Freelancer, uh, How to Craft the Lucrative Writing Career of Your Dreams, and it's a $3 book on Kindle, and it talks very much about how to, you know, break into freelancing within a specific industry, and also in sub-niches within an industry. So it applies to games, it applies to craft beer and tech, and all that good stuff. And um, if you're one of the new resources that I do have a free resource if I can plug that too. Cause Go for I'm it. totally plugging horror here with my shilling <laughs> my junk. Um, well. yeah, if, if <laughs> so, Anyway, the I have I, I did a book, uh, a free book that I offered to folks, uh, and I just doubled the content in that and, and beefed it up a bit. So if you'd like a free guide to help you with your pitches, you can go to uh, my website, ww.nathanmin.com slash free book, and you'll <laughs> you know I sound supermarkety. Um but the book is twenty-three ways to improve your freelance pitches, and it's a free forty-page PDF guide that basically has a crap ton of tips uh about how to make your pitches better and to you know target editors in a better way and that's all that's a free resource so no money if you don't want to pay any money that's a good times <laughs>
0: no yeah go buy that stuff and i'll get that free stuff um and thanks for having
1: me on the podcast it's fun it's, no uh, problem it's fun I, I spend a lot of time doing our own show it's just nice to sometimes be able to pop on others and talk shop without having to be like you know trying to mastermind all <laughs> this no
0: totally it's it's great to talk to different people who have gone through different paths to get to where they are and uh if you ever want to find my stuff i'm pretty much exclusively GameSpot at this point so i have two reviews coming there and probably a dozen more within the next month so thanks guys and i will hopefully have you guys on again and for everyone else thanks for listening and please come back for the next episode of the 1099